I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. Welcome back to This Connected Life. I'm your host, Mel Kettle, and my guest today is John Barton. John is the director and CEO of MGD Wealth and is someone who I've known for quite a few years. I can't remember how we met. I think at a networking event. I think it was a management AIM course up at Spring Hill probably seven or eight years ago now, quite a while. I think you're right. Anyway, welcome to This Connected Life, John. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Mel. Pleasure to be with you. As we go through, we'll find out a little bit more about who you are and what you do. But my first question is, what does connection mean to you? I think connection is, to a significant extent, the purpose of life. We're social beings, and I think being connected to a group of important people, a group of slightly less important people who we have a positive influence on, hopefully, I think that's what life's about, shared experiences, helping each other where we can. I don't know if that's a great dictionary definition, but I think that's what connection is. I think in the absence of connection, we're all going to struggle in varying ways and to varying degrees. So the opposite of that is is thriving and doing well and finding some purpose in life. I'm curious because you said important people. What does that mean to you? Who are they to you? Well, I think other than the obvious group, which is family and close friends who become important people in your lives for all the obvious reasons and the fact that you do a lot of things and have a lot of shared experiences together. I think important people are those people you find in life that you have an alignment of values, you you find a way of either working together or growing and developing shared experiences. And by the act of so doing, they become significant, important. They have value in your life and hopefully you have value in theirs. I like that. I think the key for me is the value part because there's a lot of people who are often in our lives who should be important. And I'm using air quotes there because I know that nobody else can see me do this. (laughs) And I think that they might believe they're important or they feel that they should be important just because of the nature of their relationship with you. But so often I find the important people are the people I choose to have or who make me feel like an amazing person because that's how they are, not because they're connected to me by blood. Yeah, well, they've obviously got more, they've got a choice. They didn't have to talk to you. And I think one of the interesting things about this time we're going through, which I'm sure we'll touch on at various parts of this conversation, is who have you picked up the phone and reached out to just to see how people are going? And I think when I think back through the people I've picked up the phone and made that call to, or the people who have picked up their phone and made that call to me, it's it's a surprise, it's somewhat a surprising list and somewhat a really obvious list. And I, I think that's been a really interesting learning experience over the past few weeks of, of who have we made the time to uh, reach out to and do a sort of a, a bit of a welfare call, a bit of a, this social distancing phrase is obviously in a lot of ways a pretty bad phrase. It's sort of the opposite of connection in a way. Yeah, I um, talked about that in my last solo podcast episode about working from home and how do you deal with that. And I said, we need to be physically distant, but more than ever, we need to be socially connected. Yeah, physical distancing would be the better phrase. You're absolutely right. Social distance is so easy to be misinterpreted. Whereas if you say you need to physically distance yourself from somebody, there's a lot less ambiguity in that expression. Yeah, for sure. I think you're spot on. Mm, Particularly when they then talk about the distance, like 1.5 metres or 2 metres or 6 feet or whatever it is, depending where you are. Yeah, we're all still feel a bit awkward with that, but we're getting there. 
I just say two arms lengths. And, <laughs> and given that Sean, my husband, loves tickling me, whenever I feel that he's about to come up to me and tickle, I'm like, stay two arms distance away from me. <laughs> it doesn't apply within a household. It's all okay in a household. Well, we've, I've been saying that to him for years. It's like, and now I'm like completely vindicated in saying to him when he gets home from work, You're right, he two was arms right. distances until you've had a shower. <laughs> Anyway, he doesn't feel the he doesn't feel the same humour in that as I do right now. Oh come, he's got to catch up, sure. <laughs> I think he will. I think he will. So as you mentioned, we are in the middle of, or I guess we're at the beginning of this coronavirus experience for all of us. And as just before we started, we were saying how some of us feel that we are maybe further through the emotional aspect of that. How are you feeling right now? I actually haven't spent much time thinking about how I'm feeling. I mean, I think one of the um, challenges of the role I find myself in at this stage of life is that my first priority is to think about how a lot of other people are feeling. I think I, through a variety of reasons, did a lot of reading and understanding early on. So I think I was a reasonably far way down the sort of up the curve um, different sort of curve than the, the flattening the curve one. But I think I was adjusting reasonably quickly. And then I was absorbed in so much communication, to both to our team and, and to our clients and our, and our wider friends of the firm group, that I was sort of a, felt a bit detached from it all for a while because I was so busy helping making sure that everyone else knew what support was in place. And, you know, we were doing all of those occupational health and safety things and all of the client communication. So I think I'm in a place now of having had a as I was saying to you just before we uh, we hit record, I had my first weekend where I really stayed away from the news and I stayed away from all the reading I've been doing the last several weeks and cleared my head a bit. And I think that was probably well and truly due. So I think I'm starting to feel like, you know, humans are adaptable. This is a time of great uncertainty and yes, a lot of change. And I think there's going to be some, almost certainly some very positive changes that come out of these experiences and obviously quite a bit of pain and a lot of unpleasantness as well. And my natural bias is to try to focus on the, the positives bits mm -hmm. and, and deal with as best we can the, the less pleasant aspects of it. Yeah, my natural bias is positive as well. And um, I've been struggling to find the positives, although not getting on a plane every week is definitely, That's definitely up one. there for me. <laughs> That's definitely one. I think in a way we might, out of this, I hope anyway, that we might in a way come out of this more focused on the human aspects, the social, physical distancing bit, might in a way remind us that actually that's pretty important and that being so busy and caught up in, in professional lives and, and on other matters, as important as those things are and, and not inherently in conflict, they can be in conflict if you don't manage it deliberately. So I'm hoping we might as a society pick up some positives out of it. It certainly pushed us all down the curve of digitising parts of our practice and that's probably a good thing and an overdue thing. I think it's going to encourage a whole lot of employers to be more flexible in terms of their work arrangements and working from home. You know, commercial real estate for a number of years to follow this might end up having less demand than it has in the past and as more people work from home more often. So I th there'll be a lot of changes and hopefully some of them are positive. I think the way that we work going forward is going to be really different because I know so many of my friends have been wanting to work from home for a long, long time and their employers have said no you can't, your job doesn't allow it. And now yep. this is just proving that actually it does. Yeah, an awful lot of jobs can. And they're probably going to be more productive a lot of the time as well. 
Yeah, we ran a survey last week with all our people asking them for their perception of productivity, connectedness, what tools were working, what tools weren't, what issues were they having with internet connection and whatever. And, and overall, the feedback on productivity particularly was actually a net positive. A few people saying much the same, only one or two struggling with it. And the, the vast majority, so sort of 60% of people reporting that they felt like they were getting more done in their day. We'll, we'll find out over time whether their self-reporting is accurate or not. But my initial sense is that it probably is. As long as we can maintain connection and we're putting in place all the things that everyone is in terms of video calls and ensuring that we get some face-to-face time, it's not just living in email. And if, if when the novelty of this all wears off over the coming weeks, and that can be maintained, there'll be some real positive come out of this in terms of a more flexible workplace, employers being more relaxed and more confident about people's ability to be productive at home and all those sorts of things. So I think you're right. We'll see that. I think a lot of the productivity at home also depends on who else is in your home with you. If you've got young kids who you're trying to keep entertained and amused, then your productivity is going to be a lot less, I would assume, than somebody who has no one else in their home to be responsible for. Yeah, you would think that would be right. You would think that would be right. And that's obviously part of, well, presumably that's part of where the government was coming from last week in terms of the support for the childcare sector, which on one level is picking an industry to support more than others, but on another level, it's a sector that enables every other sector to be productive in terms of freeing people up from those you know day-to-day minute-to-minute parenting responsibilities yeah particularly for people who need to leave their homes to go to work yeah and yeah. if both parents need or if you know if all the adults in the house need to leave to do their job then what happens if there's no childcare services externally to yeah, it's, not gonna work. it's just going to be very difficult yeah so One of the things that you're really committed about is people managing their finances and their personal wealth. What are some of the things that we should be thinking about right now, particularly given there's a lot of people who are losing their jobs, who are being asked to work fewer hours, part-time hours, have less money coming in, and who are probably going to be relying on their savings, assuming they have savings to rely on? Yep. I think the starting point is address reality. One of the things that people often struggle with when it comes to their finances is a cold, hard assessment of where they actually are um, because most of us have various pieces of our ego wrapped up with money and finances. And it's very hard to move forward if you haven't done an honest assessment of of where you are. And in times of uncertainty, that's probably even more important. Um, So what should that look like? I think that should look like whatever structure works for the individual to put down on paper, sit down with your important significant other and go, right, Where are we? What's changed in our income space? What do we think those changes might look like? What's our personal balance sheet actually look like? If we've got some investments, they will have been impacted by recent market movements, uh, our superannuation, what's happened there? And just get a clear picture of where are we? Do we have rent relief? Are we going to have dividends reduced? Am I taking less hours? Do I think my role is secure if I haven't already had a change in that space? I think just getting a clear picture of, of where you are and where you may be in the months ahead, to the extent you can, and of course there's uncertainty in that, but to the extent you can, start with a clear picture of where you actually are. Any journey begins from the place you're currently in, and a financial journey is no different than that. And getting a clear picture of where are we today segues into the, the next section, which is where do you want to go? What is your destination? Short term, get control of your cash flows and, and know where you're heading. Longer term might be 
you know, getting the house paid off or whatever it is. And the longer term might be, you know, one day having the option to not work and, and having some sort of security in retirement. So mapping out those various destinations. And then you finally get to the interesting stuff, which is, and I would say in many ways, the least important bit, which is, well, how do I bridge that gap? How do I bridge from getting from the now to the, to the tomorrow? And that's the more technical aspect. And that's the bit that most people tend to spend most of their time on. But those first two, where are you and where do you want to go? They're much, much more important. So just looking a little bit more about where are you, you've talked about some of the things that people need to consider in terms of their income. So in terms of things like um, share dividends, perhaps rental property income, your personal income coming from your employer, what that might look like. What about in terms of expenses? What should people be looking at in terms of expenses and in terms of things that maybe like maybe redoing the personal finances or the personal budget from an expenses perspective? Yeah, great, great question. I think everyone gets this when it comes to their business. And yet most of us tend to struggle with this when it comes to our, our private lives. And yet it's exactly the same issue. So when it comes to businesses and, and to your listeners who run a small business or are consulting or maybe who are an employee in a, in a larger business, they would, as a matter of routine in times like this, review what are they currently making regular expenditure on? What are those things they can cut back on? And yet most of us just don't have that clarity when it comes to what are we spending money on in our, in our personal lives. And it's completely understandable because when, when we get home, we want to enjoy our time. We want to catch up with family and friends and, and we want to feel like we've worked hard and we deserve a bit of enjoyment. And budgeting is the least fun thing in life. Unless you're married to an accountant who <laughs> loves budgeting. Yeah, well, if you're married has... to an accountant, you know, there are pros <laughs> and cons in that, obviously. I'm, although I work with a lot of accountants, I'm an economist um, originally and did psychology for my sins as well. So I tend to think about money from a human angle, less so from a, an accounting angle. But we meet up in the same place, and that is that you need to review your spending and go, well, do I need Netflix and Stan? You know, my son has a KO account. Well, there's not a lot of sport on at the moment, so we cancelled KO. What are the things you're doing? Were you eating out three times a week and were you taking lunch to work? Well, now if you're at home, you're going to be doing less of those things. So those expenditures are going to cut back maybe without much effort. But what are the things you can make some effort on? Um, The amount of subscriptions um, people inherit or accumulate over the months and years is amazing these days. There's a reason that businesses put you on a monthly direct debit subscription model. It's because you'll tend to forget about it and you'll tend to just keep it. Have a quick look at your credit card statement and look at those things that are coming up month after month and just ask yourself, do I value that? Is that making my life better? If the answer is yes and you can afford it, keep it. Or even do I need it right now? Yeah, exactly. Um, Like your KO example. Yeah, put the gym membership on hold because you're not going to have a gym at the moment. And I know some of the gyms have made that easy. I think some of them have made it a bit harder. I know one or two of them have come up with an innovative, you want us to be here when we get to the after times go from whatever your current fee is to a dollar a week just so we've got some income and some people are, are doing that. And supporting businesses through this period, I think, is really important for people who can't afford that. But you've got to look after your own budget first. You've got to make sure that you can maintain your cash flows without putting undue stress on your family. And if you've got a mortgage payment or if you've got rent you need to make, obviously those expenses need to be prioritised and you need to make sure that you're not taking advantage of of the off, you know, banks at the moment will give you deferrals. You want to be really careful taking those up because you're going to need to catch up one day in the future. And if that's going to put you under more stress, you want to avoid that if you possibly can. One of the ways that we've been saving money is we're with Telstra for for our mobile phones and they rang me about a month ago and said, just want to do an audit of your account to see whether or not you're on the best plan. And I'd been avoiding that call for a year. Every time I saw the number come up, I just went, not now, thank you very much. And for some reason, I took it this day and they said, well, 
you don't need that much data on that phone. So let's reduce it and you'll save $25 a month on your yep. plan. And I thought, oh, should have taken that call earlier. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think business, they can afford to invest in some customer goodwill for, for once in a while, which is a great initiative. Whoever came up with that inside Telstra and has made that part of their model for the last few years should be congratulated. That's an awesome thing. Banks don't do the same thing, but normally if you ring your bank before the current period where they're, where they're all flat out, you'll find it hard to get anyone in your bank to talk to you in the short term. Banks are pretty responsive to a bit of price pressure if you make that phone call or if you call because they all appreciate how, how expensive it is to get a new customer. If you're already with them, you can find some savings almost always. So there's a lot of things you can do by being a little bit proactive. You know, for people that have still got Foxtel subscriptions, if you've already got Netflix and Stan and other subscriptions, you probably don't need Foxtel anymore. We cancelled our Foxtel a year or 18 months ago now, and I haven't missed it once. Although I'd been a Foxtel subscriber for probably 20 years, certainly 15, a long time, and haven't missed it at all. So there's a lot of things, and you just got to look through your credit card statement or whatever bank account most of your subscriptions come out of. Normally, it's a credit card. And just ask yourself the question, do I need that? Would I miss it if it was gone? A bit of the Marie Kondo, you know, does this subscription bring my life joy? If the answer is yes, and you can afford it, knock yourself out. Yeah. But at least ask yourself the question. It'll probably only take half an hour to go through the list. The other area where I've noticed that we've been saving money is just buying groceries because rather than going to the shop every day or every second day like I used to and buying things for the meal that night plus a few things that weren't on the list that just looked good because they were at the end of the aisle and I just went, ooh, I might get some of those. I'm just going once every two weeks and we're getting a veggie box delivered to us. And so I reckon we've halved our weekly grocery shop because we're also... numbers, but I I suspect our experience would be similar. The veggie box guys are doing great at the moment. You know, there's a lot of innovation coming out of this in terms of the delivery services that are turning up. You know, telehealth, which is going to be an absolute boon for the regions and more remote people in our community that have been calling out for that for years. And for whatever set of reasons, we haven't collectively got our head around that. And the veggie box is a great example. Great fresh fruit, probably come to you fresher than it would if you get it at supermarket, although their supply chains are all pretty good these days. I suspect our experience is very similar. I think it's definitely those things, but it's also because I don't go as frequently, there's a lot less impulse purchasing happening. Well, guess what? The the supermarkets understand biopsychology and they know how to get us all impulse buying. They're pretty good at that. Absolutely, they do. So just recapping, we should go through our credit card statements, we should do a bit of a budget and we should have a realistic look at what our income is. I think that's exactly right. And I think most people would go, you know what, that's one of those things I should do. If the current environment doesn't give you pause to go, that thing I know I should do, I'm actually going to do it this week. Use it as an opportunity. Use it as a trigger. The human brain is a wonderful asset, but it can occasionally be our our worst enemy. And if you can use the current environment as an opportunity to go, right, I've got to reassess a few things. I'm going to have a look. I think that'd be a great way of finding a positive out of the current situation. We do have any extra cash. What should we be doing with it? Either as a business owner or an individual. Yeah, obviously there's no simple one-size-fits-all answer. But obviously cash at times of crisis is a wonderful thing and it's a wonderful thing because it gives you choices. If you know where you are and you know where you're heading, then you can start to think about, is this cash that I have, is it going to be part of my bridge? Are there business investments I can make now with or without the government's bring forward rule on on writing down capital expenses in the current year, which are now um, $150,000 you can bring forward into the current year and claim a write-off in the first in this tax year. 
if that's if there's a range of investments you should be making to make your business more future proof or that you believe will make your business more future proof well that's a wonderful thing to consider if you're looking at investment markets and thinking gosh amongst all the dramas of today and the uncertainty there are clearly going to be some great buys at significantly i mean nab two weeks ago or a week and a half ago was 15 dollars. it hasn't been 15 dollars since you know the late 1990s that doesn't necessarily make it a good buy but it certainly is indicative of something that's more attractively priced today than it was a month or two ago obviously you've got to come up with your own view of what earnings might be going forward because it's not just the price that's changed the earnings profile has changed as well but there are clearly going to be good buys available and people with cash have the optionality of assessing some of those that people with less cash or no cash don't really have that optionality so cash for me is all about choices um, and all about giving you the option around what levers you pull today versus the ones that just aren't an option for you if you don't have that liquidity available. I like that. One of my mentors, Peter Cook, says everyone's dysfunctional when it comes to money. Yes, and, um, level of dysfunctionality that changes, yep. And I know that you believe that as well. Mm. One of the things that I'm really seeing both within myself and with people I'm close enough to to actually observe this at the moment mm. is that some of those dysfunctions seem to be just escalating as people, I guess, fall back on what's comfortable for them when everything else seems to be changing. Yeah. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeal a lemon, you get lemon juice. So when you put people under pressure, whatever set of baggage and issues and biases and personal nuances they have, those things are going to come out more. That's probably my, the way I think about, about that. And I think the way as individuals, we can try to move our behavior in a more positive and more goal-orientated direction and a less reactive and almost panicky way can be to be a bit more deliberate and to pause. And what I would say is hasten slowly. This is a phrase we're using around the office a lot, right? Hasten slowly. So there's a lot to do. We probably have a fair idea what a lot of those actions are, but we don't know them all because things are moving fast and the world is always uncertain, but particularly uncertain at the moment. So how do we get things done more quickly, but not trip ourselves up, not make silly errors? How do we hasten slowly? How do we be deliberate and think things through before we do them? And I think that's probably my overarching philosophy for times like this, or what might be emerging as a philosophy. I don't know if I've ever, I've ever thought about it like that, but we need to crack on. We need to make decisions in our personal lives. We need to make changes, but let's not make them willy-nilly. Let's not run the risk of overreacting or let's not run the risk of blocking off a strategic option for us unnecessarily. Let's keep optionality where we can. Yeah, one of the things that I'm, I'm reading about is how a lot of people and me as well are equating what we're going through at the moment to grief. Yeah. So when you lose a loved one, you go through... Yep really, for me at least, traumatic grief. And we may not have lost a loved one through this experience yet, but we've lost a way of life that's really comforting to us. Absolutely. And the absolute best piece of advice I was given, particularly after my father died, was don't make any major life changes for six months yeah. because you're grieving and you need to get through that first and not make a decision based on a heightened emotion that may be positive or it may be negative. And I think that's what I'm taking away from your hasten slowly we need to keep moving, but we need to move with caution because we don't know what's next. Look, we never have perfect information. We never know all the variables, but clearly at the moment we know less of them than usual. 
and the rules are being rewritten in an ad hoc. Fashion. I don't mean legislatively. I just mean the you know the societal norms and the way the economy plays out. We don't know all of that. So unless you've got a very clear strategic direction that you were set up for, and now this presents an opportunity to you where you go right, we've got to start implementing that tomorrow. I would definitely be be making small decisions, heading in different directions and experimenting and you're know, breaking things fast. And I would say that that applies equally to your personal finances. You know, and unless you're in dire straits, you should be trimming your sails rather than, you know, completely trying to rebuild the boat while you're out at sea. It's, it's that sort of analogy, I think. I like that. I like that. While we're on sporting analogies, you're a really keen cyclist. Indeed. Are you getting out at the moment? I have gotten out on the bike. And in fact, I I made a decision over the weekend. I need to make sure I get out a little bit more from a personal headspace point of view. Although for me, cycling is at least as much about the the catching up with mates and doing things together and having that shared experience. So that aspect of cycling is gone for a while. You can go for a ride with one other person, but catching up with five or six or 20 is not on the cards at the moment. So for me, one aspect of cycling is gone and is off the table, hence the indoor training, but it's not quite the same. You know what you could do? You could all go for a ride on your own or with one other person at the same time and then get back and have a virtual coffee over Zoom at whatever time you would normally have a coffee. You have talked about arranging a Zoom coffee. You're absolutely right. I know a few people are doing Zoom beers on a Sunday afternoon and when the history of all this is written, we might find out that um, that, that Zoom actually released the virus on the world because they're clearly, <laughs> clearly the big winners. <laughs> Try not to think that way, but maybe. (laughs) Definitely not an official view. (laughs) I must say I've had quite a few Zoom drinks over the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, well, I did enjoy your um, uh, recent newsletter where you said, where are you on the gin and tonic scale? You know, (laughs) there is not enough gin and tonic on the planet. It was very good. What I didn't say is I um, came back from New Zealand about two weeks before I sent that newsletter out and didn't buy any duty-free because I was meant to be in New Zealand again the, day, the week that newsletter And that went out. away. And so I thought I'll just get my duty-free on the second trip because the first trip I came in through Sydney and it was just a hassle to have to carry it. And the second trip was direct to Brisbane and then it got cancelled. And it's like, damn it. Yeah, there's <laughs> plenty of that going on. That's okay. I do have enough gin to keep me going for a good, I reckon, six months. It's a good staple. It is a good staple. I was quite horrified to see the um, alla- the liquor allowance or the alcohol allowance each person's allowed to buy per day, though, which is a carton of wine, I think two that's, cartons of beer and a bottle of spirits. That, that seems ample. One uh, today recommending against self-medicating with large amounts of alcohol, which seems like <laughs> sensible advice, much as I love a glass of wine or a gin and tonic. It does. I've had very few alcohol-free days over the last few weeks. I've had a few, but very few. So perhaps tonight will be one. (laughs) See how you go. Fingers crossed. It may not be, but we'll see. We will see. So I just have a couple of other questions I'd like to ask. You have obviously been doing a lot of work with your workforce at the moment in terms of staying connected. What are some of the things that you've been doing, I guess, to give them comfort and to make sure that they're aware of what's happening in your um, world right now? Let me run through them in no particular order. I think we started with, funny enough, the answer I gave you to the what can people do about their personal finances. I started with transparency and honesty, and we've had regular initially face-to-face team meetings and more recently virtual team meetings where to the extent I can, I've told it as it is. And maybe for our business, that wasn't as hard as it might be for others because we haven't lost any people, for example. But, you know, we have clients who are doing it tough, particularly in our, in our, in our accounting team where, where there, you know, there's lots of operating businesses out there that are finding conditions 
very, very challenging indeed to the extent of being basically closed down. So we're helping you know people through that situation, that reality all the time. So we started with being pretty blunt and real with people, which I think is the psychology of that is, is good because then people don't get a sense that you sugarcoating things, you're telling it as it is. And if there is worse news to come, they're not worried about it ahead of time because they feel like you're, you're being frank with them along, along the way. Secondly, we just communicated a lot. We were doing virtually daily email updates to people as sort of this was unfolding, preempting that we trial a working from home system for a week where we had a few people working from home each day to test that, you know, what was our preparedness for working from home. We had a disaster recovery plan in the cupboard, thank goodness. So we started putting that in, you know, testing that and some combination of luck and that we did do a bit of preparation that worked pretty well. By the end of that test week, we were actually into 50-50 working from home. I started doing Loom updates. Once a day, I, I would do a little Loom video. Sometimes they're six minutes, sometimes they're 45 seconds. A, letting people know a little bit about my day and, and B, letting them all know different snippets about what other teams were doing. We've got you know, five teams in our business and sometimes they don't know what those other teams are up to. And if they're all at home, they're going to know that even less. That's the one thing we've done that has got the most positive feedback. If I send out an, an email to the team, I might occasionally get a few responses. Every Loom video I have sent out, I've got multiple responses saying, thanks for sharing this and thanks for making that. And tomorrow you might like to touch on this. So that's been hugely positive. And then the next thing we've just started is asking everyone to look at expenses in, in their part of the practice and what can they see that we can maybe save a dollar here and a dollar there on. And again, that's, I think, respecting people and giving them some ownership for outcomes. And finally, as we start to refine our strategy and our, our business planning out of it, you know, we're going to be really open and upfront with people about what our, our results are, what our objectives might be, and just share all that openly as well. And then there's all the other HS stuff about you know, wiping hand, uh, washing hands and wiping surfaces and all those things that we've done. So as, as everyone should, people are definitely our major asset. We've definitely made sure to the extent so far that we can. I think we've dotted our eyes and crossed our teams in terms of looking after our people, which we've tried to. Um, the feedback I've had from them has been pretty, pretty positive. And I think finally is I've tried to honestly and realistically be optimistic with them and, and try to paint for them honestly where I can, where I actually think we can add value to our clients, where we can help people and, and how that's our bridge to the future as, as a practice. I like that. I like the Loom video part, especially because I think that gives people a greater sense of how you as the CEO are doing because they can see you and not just through a written email, which can be easy to, you know, inadvertently or deliberately hide what's really happening. There's no hiding that on a video. People can see you when you were a bit run down. So much yeah. as I don't like being told I look old and tired on a video, was um, it was at least honest and transparent. Well, hopefully in a few weeks' time they'll say, gee, you look refreshed. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Let's, let's keep our fingers crossed for that, hey? That's it, exactly. So we're just about at the end of our recording time. I've just got a couple of final questions. Are there any books or any podcasts or anything that has really resonated with you or impacted with you at any, either now or previously in your um, personal well, My standard answer for what's one of the most impactful books I've, I've read, which I've reread recently, it's, it's one of the books I've tried to make almost compulsory reading in our practice is Start With Why by Simon Sinek that I'm sure you know. And it kind of resonates with that second point I mentioned before about what to do with your personal finances. You know, start with where you are, then work out your why. 
you know, everyone's definition of success and wealth is is different and that's completely appropriate because money, frankly, doesn't actually matter that much other than the choices it gives you and if it helps you lead the life you want to live. That's its only purpose in life is to help people. Humans is what matters. Money is just a, a means to an end. And I think that's what part of Simon's key message is, is that if you don't know why you're doing something, if you don't know where you're heading, and if that's not fundamentally important to you, well, you're probably going to struggle with it one way or the other. So Start With Why has been one of the most impactful books I've read and reread in a long, long time. I like that. I need to read that again. It's been a long time since I read Start With Why. Good book. Mm, it is a good book. Are you reading anything now? Yeah, I'm reading a book called Seamless, a book by Anders uh, Salman Nielsen, who has a long history in family business through, through his parents and, and grandparents and is now an Australian-based futurist. He basically, Seamless is all about removing friction from your business and how you deal with your clients and your customers and creating a seamless business where it's easy to deal with. And I think that's what a lot of businesses are, are striving for. And as we become more and more digital, being seamless and, and having less friction, in our interactions with people is clearly clearly mission critical going forward. So that's a that's a book I'm taking quite a few lessons from as we speak. If people want to know more about you or your firm or your practice, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter, JB Rownums, R-O-W-N-H-A-M-S. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and we've got a website, ngd.com.au, where all the usual facts and figures about who we are and what we're on about are available. I would almost always, well, in, in the past, I would have always answered that question by, you know, look us up and come on in for a, for a coffee. Obviously, it'll be a Zoom conversation and you have to bring your own coffee, but um, we're very happy to have a conversation. And I love talking to people about money, not because it's about the money, it's about their life and, and learning about what people are trying to achieve and what they're trying to get done is frankly one of the joys of, of my professional life. So um, I look at it as an opportunity to have a conversation and add some value where we can. And I can definitely attest to that because, as we said at the beginning, we've known each other for a long time and you've always been incredibly generous with your time and your knowledge to me. So thank you. Oh, great pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you also for being a guest on Disconnected Life. It's been great talking to you. There's so many other things that we could have talked about, but maybe we will do this again sometime. Yeah, well, time flies. It's certainly that's the joy of a good conversation, right? Time flies. So uh, thanks for the chat. and. Uh, Have a great day. Pleasure. You too. Thanks. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both. The show notes are all on the website, melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at Mel Kettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye.